So as I said, we're in the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 13, verses 10 through 17 is what we'll be covering today. And if you've been here last week, then you're probably scratching your head because I just got done saying we go through it systematically so that we have the context. And now what I'm telling you is we're actually jumping ahead 10 verses for the purposes of making the previous nine verses make more sense. So next week, Dave will be covering the, the parable of the sower as well as the explanation for the parable of the sower. So today I get the, the pleasure of bringing to you the passage on Jesus explaining why he teaches in parables. So this is one of those exceptions where we're taking, we're, we're leaving the context of the text and moving forward just so we can get clearer idea of what it was that the previous nine verses mean. And we're going to look at the explanation to the disciples on why he teaches by parables. We'll look at what the parables are, who they were for, and what effect they had on the crowd, those that understood and those that don't, and what that means. We also have this other consideration today. It's Super Bowl Sunday, almost an American holiday. So uh, everybody loves the Super Bowl for one of two reasons. Either you're a huge sport fan or you're a huge sports food fan. <laughs> I am in the previous category. So although I was born in San Francisco, and that's who I'm going to root for. It's probably more about the food than it is the teams. So for all you Chiefs fans, I'm rooting for the 49ers. I lived in the Bay Area. I was born in San Francisco at St. Luke's Hospital, and we lived there for a couple years. And then uh, my parents moved us out to the country. And I'll also tell you that while I was earning my degree, one thing I was never called is they never never, ever complimented me on my brevity. So I just need to know what time kickoff is, and I'll try to get done before then. <laughs> just kidding. So if you would, open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 13, verses 10 through 17. I'll read it, pray, and then we'll unpack it together. Then the disciples came and said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance, but from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, that says, you will indeed hear but never understand, you will indeed see but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes have been closed. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and underneath with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly, I say to you, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear, and did not hear it. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word, the word that's gone forward, it reveals yourself to us, and uh, the knowledge of your son. We just thank you for ears that hear, and eyes that see. We pray that you would just give these to us, so we see the truth of this passage, Lord. 
Just thank you for bringing us all here together to hear these words. Just pray that you would be with us while we receive them. It's in your name I pray, amen. So as I mentioned, our passage today is right in the middle of the parable of the sower and the explanation of the parable of the sower. And a parable is often defined in several ways. It, it is usually most often heard as an earthly example as a, of a heavenly truth. And the word also, you've also probably, if you took geometry in class, which I didn't because I was terrible at geometry, so great at math, terrible at geometry, but parabola, and it kind of has the same idea. So if you think of a parabola, which is a U in the middle of the grid, the two axes, there's two lines that kind of parallel each other. That's, that is an example of a parabola, and also in the same way, a parable has two parallel lines. So you'll see that there's a comparison there between earthly truths and heavenly truths. So I hope that didn't just obscure the actual meaning. What I hope to do is clarify it. So again, it's really just a heavenly truth with an earthly example. So in this particular passage, this marks a change in Jesus' teaching style because he goes on from here to mostly teach in parables, where before he used illustrations and we'll talk about that in a second, now he turns to these parables. And in this particular passage, what we see in verse 10 is that the disciples come to him and they ask him, why are you teaching in parables? Why do you speak to them in parables? So parables can be a comparative story between two things. What it is not is an illustration. You know, you remember previously in chapter 9, Jesus uses illustrations to make a point. He talks about new wine and old wineskins and also new patches on old garments. Those are illustrations. But here, Jesus uses a different teaching technique. He uses a parable to talk about the mystery of the kingdom of God. And Jesus' parables reveal the mystery to those who have been given the revelation of the kingdom of God and who believe. He's going to use the word mystery in this passage and that is exactly he wants, what he wants the disciples to understand. He's, he's talking about a mystery. The mystery is not exclusively the kingdom of God itself. The mystery is also who God has chosen to reveal the mystery to. God has chosen to reveal the mystery to some. First thing here, it's unlikely that Jesus was talking about the parable of the sower and then the disciples were like, hey, Jesus, come here for a second. Why are you teaching in parables? So it wasn't that they had a sidebar conversation about why Jesus was teaching in parables. It's more likely that this particular question happens later on in wherever it is they're staying. And at that point, you would have seen that Jesus probably had several parables that he taught, which is another reason for the question. He probably went through seven par- several parables, and that is confusing to the disciples, though they ask him, why do you speak to them in parables? We see the parallel passage in Mark 4, beginning with verse 10, where the account is 
more brief, it's also brief, more brief in Luke as well. And in Luke, he specifically, the disciples specifically ask about the meaning of one parable. And in Mark, they ask him about all the parables. But if we take a look at verse 11, we see, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. And this is my first point. The kingdom of heaven has been revealed to some. Jesus is speaking directly to the disciples. To you is to them. And it has been given is the verb in that sentence. And it is... And this is a long explanation for this, but it's important that we look at this. It is the perfect passive indicative tense. And what does that mean? And we've talked before about passive verbs where something's being done to us. The passive indicates that the person didn't really do anything. They are not the ones doing the action. In this case, the one doing the action is God. The perfect tense indicates it will be done into the future. So in this case, what Jesus is telling them, to you, to the disciples, it has been given perfect, passive, indicative tense. He is saying, God has done this to you and will continue to do it to you. The disciples are the receiver of what God's done. And what he's done is he's given them the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. This is Matthew's one use of the word mystery, We know that it's found many times in the Pauline epistles. It signifies something that people can never work out for themselves. That is the mystery of God. Some things he withholds for himself or gives to his people. We see this word in Paul. Paul uses in Ephesians 3. I'll pick up Ephesians 3 verse 3. How the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have written briefly when you read this you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations. And it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, partakers in the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So you see Paul here on the Damascus Road, he's reporting this experience Recorded in Acts 9 where Jesus meets him and changes his direction. You remember he was struck blind at that point and God sent Ananias to go heal him. And Ananias says, for he is the chosen instrument of mine to carry, sorry, he's saying to Ananias, chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So in this case, the mystery of the gospel of the kingdom of heaven includes both Jews and Gentiles. To them it has been given, the knowledge of the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is also telling them, if we continue to look at this passage, that there are some people who the knowledge of the kingdom of heaven has not been given to. And remember that God is the one doing the action here. Looking forward, you're going to hear the parable of the sowers preached next week in an explanation about how God has established his kingdom here on earth 
told through the lens of the sower. You'll hear about the different types of soil. And all the different types of soil have to be prepared, and they're prepared by God. In verse 12, you can see where it says, For to the one who has, more will be given. He will have an abundance, but from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And remember, they were talking about the thing that's given and hasn't been given is the knowledge of the kingdom of heaven, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus is revealing that the kingdom of God, especially as foreseen as the prophets of old, has arrived. And some people have been given that knowledge to understand, and some people haven't. And there's also a warning here as well. The one who has, in this case, the one who has the knowledge of the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, God is going to add to that. More will be given. But he also mentions the others, the ones who have not. And even if they have a little shred of it, even if they, the crowds were full of people following Jesus, but you remember hearing many times in Jesus' narratives that at some point he says something and it says the crowds departed. So what they could have had, they abandoned in favor of going someplace else. This is also the case of the story of the rich young ruler. The rich young ruler, we know he goes to Jesus and he tells Jesus, I know the law, I've fulfilled the law, I've done the law. And he says he's done it his entire life. And Jesus says, well, sell everything and follow after me. And we know the rich young ruler leaves and it says he goes away sad because he doesn't give up everything for Jesus. And even then what we see in the rich young ruler is what he goes away with is all his earthly possessions. But what he gives away, what's taken away from him is the knowledge of an eternal, an eternal inheritance that's without measure, that's priceless. So while he goes away with all his possessions, thinks he's, he's retained everything that he's earned, what he's abandoned and what's been taken away is the kingdom of heaven, his eternal, priceless truth. Jesus goes on to say in verse 13, if you look there with me, this is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand Which brings me, so do you remember a painting called, or pictures called the Magic Eye Paintings, pictures? I know we had the book and we put it out in front of our daughters and and they would spend a lot of time looking at it and trying to figure out and we told them that there was this 3D image in the middle of this 2D image and they would stare at it for hours on end and Proclaim that, well, there's really nothing there, is there? Well, in fact, the magic eye pictures are pictures where a computer has developed an algorithm where the way the printing is done, it's at two different depths. When it's done a certain way, what you get, if you look at it just right, and if your eyes can see it, is there's a 3D image in the middle of the 2D image. And this is what one looks like. And, and, and if you look at it, it's big. And if you look at it hard enough and long enough and get close enough, 
you will see that in there is an image of a dolphin. It's plain as the nose on your face, right? There it is right there. It's a dolphin. And if you look at this next one, that is a great picture. And in the middle of that, obviously, there is a pterodactyl, right? Right there, flying around. Can you see him? See, and that's the thing about the magic eye images. Like some people can't see them at all. So some people looking at that, it doesn't matter how close they get, even if you give it to them in a book, and you tell them there is a picture of a dolphin or a pterodactyl in those pictures, they still wouldn't be able to see it. Some people can't see it even if they should be able to. There is some people, there are some people that can't see this because they might have some kind of physical eye problem that won't allow them to see it. And then there's some people, they can see it, they just don't know how to look at it. But to them, it's just a picture of a landscape. Some people can see it or know they can see it. Some people can't see it. Some people, it's just a problem with technique. If you teach them how to see it, they would see it. But some people, there's no amount of teaching or showing or illustrating or revealing that it's going to allow them to see the pterodactyl that's in that picture, which I saw before I put it up there. So the question is, is there really a pterodactyl there? Is there really a 3D image there? How do you convince somebody of the truth if they're unable to see it for themselves? You can't. They either have to be able to see it or they will forever be in the dark about what this picture holds. Some, because they can't see it, won't believe that there is anything there at all. No matter how many times you tell them, no matter how convincing it is, no matter how many people come alongside and tell you there is a picture of a pterodactyl there, you just might say, you know, I don't believe you. And this is the point that Jesus is making. He is ushering in a new reality, one that has been foretold for thousands of years, yet many people refuse to see it. In verse 14, Christ quotes from the prophet Isaiah. And what's interesting is the context here. In this passage from Isaiah, it's so familiar to us. It's from Isaiah 6. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. And we see this Isaiah coming before God and God revealing his majesty to him. And Isaiah is undone. Eventually, a seraphim comes over with a burning coal and puts it on his lips. And he hears the voice of the Lord crying out, Who should I send? Who will go for us? And Isaiah says, Here I am, send me. The next part is where God tells him who he's going to go to, which is what Jesus, it's what Jesus reveals to his disciples. Brings us to our second point, the kingdom of heaven is is hidden to some. And if we look at Matthew 13, 14, this is what Jesus says. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, you will indeed hear but never understand. 
you will indeed see but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. What Jesus explains in quoting Isaiah, the double purpose of the parables, the parables enlighten the disciples, the ones who have been given the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God. This, the parables show them what the explanation is. The second purpose is it drives away those that are hard-hearted towards Jesus' teaching. Those people whose hearts have grown dull. This never hear, you will indeed hear but never understand, you will indeed see but never perceive. This especially in Greek, in Greek formulation is called emphatic negation. In Greek, this combination, it's not just never like it may not happen. This is the strongest form of negation in the Bible. And it indicates that there is no other possibility. It's called emphatic negation. And it means that there is no other possibility ever. So in this case, they will hear but never understand and never perceive indicates exactly that. Jesus is saying they don't understand. It's kind of like the picture. They will never see it. They will never understand it. They will never perceive it. No matter how many parables they get, they will never, never, ever believe. And this is a little more clear in John and in John, it's gone on to explain, in John chapter 12, verse 36, is where I'll be heading. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. It goes on to say, when Jesus had said these things, they, he departed and hid himself from them. Though he had done so many signs before him, they still did not believe in him, so that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they cannot believe, for again Isaiah says, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their hearts and turn, and I would heal them. John, The book of John goes on to say, Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Nevertheless, many, even of the authorities, believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. We should keep in mind that they also had seen these miracles that Jesus is performing. They'd seen the lepers healed. They'd seen demon possession reversed. They'd even seen people with demon possession removed of demons and then follow Christ They'd even seen and heard of Jesus raising the dead. Yet they don't confess it because they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. <coughs> Excuse me. Short break with a loud bottle. So Jesus wraps up this passage in verse 16 with a blessing. And he says, But blessed are your eyes, for they see, 
in your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it. And to hear what you hear and did not hear it. And that brings me to my third point. The kingdom of heaven is a blessing to all. In Luke chapter 4, Jesus enters the synagogue and it says a scroll was given it to him and he opened it to where the prophet Isaiah had said, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind. To set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And again, Jesus is announcing this new reality, the signs of the year of Jubilee, this year of peace, the blind see, the captives are set free. But most importantly, if we look back on what Jubilee meant to the Jews, their debts are paid. That's what happened. Their debts are paid and the captives are set free. We have this kingdom of God coming in with Christ, this inauguration. And we know that even though he's come, he is also coming back. And we are waiting. And we are watching. There's other people that were watching Jesus and they were still waiting. Even though the Messiah had come, he had healed people. He had raised the dead. He had set the captives free. They went away sad. The crowds departed. They were still waiting for the Messiah to appear. And when he did, those with hard hearts were blinded to the reality of Christ's kingship. And they missed the blessing that Jesus is telling the disciples they have. And you have it too, if you're in Christ. Christ here says we're blessed. Because we are blessed, we see and hear. Which is what the prophets and righteous people wanted, but did not get to see. Which is good news for us. And why are we waiting? And what should we do while we're waiting? We're waiting for Christ to come in and consummate the kingdom and restore the rest of what was lost. And each day that the Lord delays his coming is a blessing to all those others. Because he has delayed his coming for the purpose of us gathering his children and bringing people to faith. The fact that we have this time now to bring the gospel to those that haven't heard or those that have heard and not responded is a blessing for their sakes. And Spurgeon said, every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. Next week you will hear about the soil and the seeds that are spread. You're adopted into this group that sows and God grows. And they're is no greater privilege than that. It is also easy in this culture to feel really defeated. Our culture is just rampant with 
this world turned upside down of sexual appetites, greed, and pride. But friends, you have the words of eternal life. Your debt has been paid, and you have been set free. If we look back in our previous passage, Isaiah asks, previous passage in Isaiah 6, so he asks God, how long? And God says, until cities lie waste without inhabitants and houses without people and the land is a desolate waste and the Lord removes people far away. You know, and it's hard to imagine Isaiah thinking that's like tomorrow. It's probably a long way off. But that was his call. God sends them out to people that are not going to hear his message. They're not going to see. They're not going to understand. But his call, his command is to go to them. Christ says the disciples are blessed because they saw and heard, and you are blessed because it's been revealed and recorded and you believe. If you believe. Even in the passage from Isaiah, even though God told Isaiah that he would labor to deaf and blind people probably for the rest of his life, Isaiah's answer to God was, send me. Isaiah knows the truth of God's holiness. In light of it, he says, I am undone. But he's going to go. And Dave Harvey says, everything in scripture is either preparation for the gospel Presentation of the gospel or participation in the gospel. The gospel is everything, and this should be our response in light of Christ's sacrifice. I am undone, but I will go. In light of this reconciliation with God, we need to take the good news to our neighbors, our coworkers, and if so called, across the oceans. To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. Thankfully, this is not news that we can keep to ourselves, friends. Take it to those with hard hearts and deaf ears, and you will see some of those hearts will be softened or shattered right in front of you. shattered right in front of your eyes and you also will witness the power and glory of God what it does to stony hearts of men, women, and children just like the disciples did. Let's pray.